This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Isha Patel who is a UFO researcher and contactee and she also hosts the First Contact podcast. Isha, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Michael. It's so fun being here. I'm very excited for this conversation. So let's talk contactee stuff then. So you've actually been contacted by UFOs in one way or another. So break that down. What was it like? Yeah, I've had multiple contacts over the years. One of the most tangible experiences that I can tell you about was, this was a few years ago now, I was sitting with my friend and we were at her house and this this starship came above the house and we both knew that it was there because we were telepathically connected in with it. And then my friend, she said, they're sending down a beam of light. And I kid you not, a giant beam of light came down from the sky in through the roof, through the ceiling, into the room. And it was like the whole room was filled with this thick white fog for about 30 seconds. And then they left and then the beam went away. And then about two hours later, after I got over all the shock and, oh my God, what just happened? Uh, yeah, we went outside and as I was going home, I saw the the starship just above in the sky, just flashing red and blue eight times, just to kind of say like, hey, we're still here. Uh, so that's probably one of the most tangible experiences I've had, but I've had many, many contacts over the years. I've got photographs. I see flashes in the sky that are very anomalous. I have telepathic contacts, many, many experiences. Now, I'm sure you're probably aware of this, and it happens more often than not where people try to debunk these things. People always try to come up with rational explanations for why it happened what could have caused it I'd imagine in your field of study you've probably been on the giving end of some of these debunks as well as the receiving end so what are some of the common reasons why or people say why it happened I think people just don't understand. I mean, that experience that I had with my friend is very difficult to debunk because there were two of us. So as soon as you have multiple witnesses, it's it's almost impossible to to debunk it um, unless unless it's something like a sighting that's you know maybe a, a you know like a something obvious like a plane or a military craft or a weather balloon or something like that. Um, but I think there's there's you know when you have very very tangible experiences like in this instance the experience we had defied the laws of physics. I mean you cannot have light going through a solid ceiling and yet it did. So how do you explain that? And how do you then explain the part about the fact that she said it first, so she got the telepathic intuitive guidance on that, and then it was confirmed by the actual action that happened, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, a lot of people try to debunk this kind of thing, but I think there's just too many strange experiences out there that don't have a logical explanation. And to those people, I generally say, look, it's okay. I understand if you, if you haven't had your own experience, it's very difficult to understand someone else's. But I think once you've had experience after experience, after experience, this becomes normal. So for me, connecting in with these these different multidimensional beings, as I call them, or star family, is a very normal experience. And I can also appreciate that for some people who've not had the experience, it can be it can be very difficult to comprehend. So I think there has to be a level of respect for people who might not have had the experience and therefore can't actually comprehend what you're talking about. 
it definitely works both both ways, doesn't it? Like you can't just respect the person that's unsure, that's trying to come up with the explanation without then trying to respect the other side and say, look, I, I get that you've never had this before, but I have. And there's a lot of merit to that. And it's curious, actually, because so many people that learn things like smart people still can't come up with the reasons why. It's almost like the more that we know, the more that we understand, it's actually more amazing for things to not actually yeah. be able to be explained. You know, when you sort of think, okay, well, way back when, things were magical just because they were. The idea of the internet was magic, you know, 40, 50 years ago, and now it, we can't really live without it, almost. It's it's things like that that always fascinates me because in the future, the more we know, the more we understand the technology advancement, and then something can still happen that completely defies that current body of knowledge it must be incredible to be in that position well yeah exactly I mean what's that quote by Nassim Haramein something along the lines of that that spirituality is just science that hasn't been figured out yet you know it's just it's just that there's a lot happens out there in the world and either you have an explanation for it or you're able to observe it or you don't and the things that are not observable or not fully understood are considered magic well it's still a phenomenon that exists like how can you how can you say that hundreds of thousands of people didn't see what they saw or didn't have the abduction or didn't have these these mass group sightings you can't well maybe there just isn't an explanation for it but that means there's more room to learn and grow i don't think we're quite at the point yet where we can just debunk it and say it's not true because i think we don't have enough information to even do that that's a very interesting point as well. And it, it makes me think of magicians that are able to perform tricks in front of hundreds to thousands of people and they have no idea how they did it. Do you ever think that, that that's kind of closely linked to that where you think, oh, they must be, it must be magic. It must be someone is trying to pull a prank on so many people and they've been able to pull it off. But I reckon in some ways there's still a point where, as you said, you know, yeah, the, the the intuitive guide and then it happened and then you were with somebody else as well that could confirm it. it must be so hard to be like well there must still be an explanation for it and it must be hard to really come up with that in some ways well yeah I mean in that in that way the magic analogy does make sense because something that if I if I'm at a magic show and I'm looking at the stage, I can't work out how they did it, but they probably know how they did it because they put together a series of events to create this illusion of magic. And in that instance, it is an illusion and there is a trick behind it. In this case, it's just it's happening in the real world and we don't know the mechanism behind it. We don't fully understand consciousness enough to understand how these things happen and yet they do. I mean, even just with the experiences that I've personally had, there are many, many experiences that I can't fully explain by conventional science or conventional laws of physics, and yet the experience is still true for me. I'm talking things like telepathy or having, having intuitive guidances to go to a particular place at a particular time to witness something that never would have happened otherwise. You know, some people call this synchronicity as well. That's a form of magic. So I think it's just, you know, if we open our minds to this idea that maybe we don't know everything about consciousness yet, then maybe we can be open to the idea that 
that there are these different frequencies, energies, beings out there that we just haven't connected with using third dimensional tools and, and, and mechanics yet. It makes me think of people that are able to be suggestible or even hypnotized. And I've tried to be hypnotized. It works in some respects, but then I'm not super suggestible as a person. There are some people that are more inclined in that way and others that aren't. And in some ways, I almost feel sorry for those people because they might never experience the things that you have. Have you ever looked into those kinds of practices as well? Look, I have, and I think it's important to make a distinction between, say, for example, hypnosis and then multidimensional travel. I don't think they're anywhere remotely in the same bucket, and I have experienced both of them. So, you know, yeah, things like hypnosis are great. Uh, even NLP is great for certain purposes. I know it can be used for healing, um, and they're things I've I've looked into. When it comes to this multidimensional side of things I'm talking about, there's a there's a, a fundamental understanding of of the spirit side of who we are. Because even things like hypnosis and NLP, they actually still work within the constructs of the mind. But if we go beyond the mind into the spirit, there are even more unexplainable things that we don't yet fully understand. And one of those things is that this is idea that that our bodies exist in this physical plane and yet we are spiritual beings that inhabit the body so if we're spiritual beings that implies that when the body dies the spirit continues on and i think that's where we're getting into levels of awareness that extend consciousness into well what happens outside physicality what happens outside the matter that we know and i think that's where things start to get really exciting that always baffles me as well when the value of humanity, you know, us as people, our place in the world, if these things are true, what then? If you think, okay, there has to be a level of awareness, a level of acceptance, a level of respect for the people that have had these experiences, because otherwise you kind of discount it. You completely just sort of say, well, none of this is real. It's a strange thing to actually say because that may or may not be true and then what like if it happens to be true then what 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 do you have to change what do you have to believe where do you go that some people don't know who they would be if these things were true some people don't know what they actually value and what they actually believe anymore if ufos and aliens and people from other planets is actually a reality what would happen then well, that's the question that's on a lot of people's minds right now. And 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 I will say, I think there's there's a lot more fear around it than what is necessary. I mean, the first thing to to really put out there on the table is that, okay, if we discover, and this is not an if, this is a when, there's actually a lot of research out there now, even from government levels of um, disclosure, that, that we're not alone in this universe. And we'd be crazy to think we are, you know. So even from that perspective, there's a lot that's being released at the moment. And then add to that people like myself who've had these very tangible experiences telepathically, energetically, even physical type of experiences. So, so there is a truth out there that hasn't been told to humanity. Now, the question around what happens when that truth comes out, well, on the one hand, life goes on as per normal. 
we will take our children to school. We will get up in the morning and probably have a shower and have breakfast. Like there are some things that aren't going to change. And so I think it's really important first to release the stigma and the fear around this, this identity we've created as human beings, which leads me to the biggest thing that will actually change is the human identity. And that can be a very scary thing for people. Because if we have been humans and we think that we are the be all and end all of this planet and we're the only ones out there, and then suddenly we get told that not only are we not alone, but potentially there are races out there that are technologically and societally more advanced than us, well, what does that mean? We're no longer at the top of the chain anymore. We've suddenly got a lot to learn. And I think I think the ego, the human ego, can take a really big hit from that. And I think that's the area that may at first cause a lot of conflict for people who just won't know what to think about themselves and their world anymore. That's a very good point, actually. When it becomes the human condition that is holding us back from accepting it. It's just who we are or who most of us are. And that puts us in a very strange position. Because sometimes you have to ask yourself, what would it take for them to believe it? What would it take to, in essence, convert more people into the idea that creatures, animals, people from other planets do actually exist? Right. And and it's really important to make a distinction now between believing and knowing. There are people who believe that this kind of thing is real. And then there are people who know this phenomenon is real because they firsthand experience it. So I'm in the camp of knowing. I don't need to believe it because I know it to be true. I've, I've met these beings myself. I've seen their craft. I've been on their ships. I know that this is very, very real. So, so coming back to this question of, of belief, you know, people are going to have to change their beliefs. But I think at the same time, a lot of it is going to happen through this process of what we call disclosure or awakening, where people are starting to understand that there is more to this reality than meets the eye. So, so I can understand that some of these topics can really um, bend people's belief systems if they haven't experienced it. And in that case, the better question to ask would be, how can I have the experience? Because it's very difficult to change a belief system that is so far out of your construct of reality if you have nothing to base that off. So if you ask the question, how can I have the experience, then suddenly there's a process to that. And if you diligently follow the process and you have your own experience, then belief leaves the equation because it then becomes a knowing. That was actually something I was thinking as well. But I want to get your description of what these beings were that you saw first. And then I'd be really curious as to what that process is. Sure. So the first group of beings, galactic beings that I met were the Arcturians. The Arcturians are known in the universe as master healers. And one of the first things that they gave me was a series of sacred geometry codes. And they asked me to share these codes with people, which I did. I ran my very first event with no facilitation experience, no meditation teacher training, nothing. I just invited people to this event with me and I shared some of these codes with them. 
and the people in the room had really profound experiences. So that was the way that I was able to confirm Firstly, that I wasn't just making it up because how else could I get these symbols? And secondly, by seeing people have this this effect or impact on their lives as a result of these codes, it kind of validated the work that I was doing. So the Acturians came through first. Since then, I've connected with many, many races, Pleiadians, Syrians, Ashtar commands. I've connected with Galactic Federation, many councils of light, Lyran beings, angelic beings, ascended masters. There's many, many groups out there in many, many dimensions. And I've I've found a way that I can connect with any of them. And, and I guess that leads into your next question, which is, well, what is the process? There's a there's two there's two very simple, profound processes that helped me to connect with my star family. So the very first thing that I learned, and we're going back almost 10 years ago now, was I learned a process called the Merkaba light body activation. And the Merkaba light body activation is a, is a combination of using sacred geometry and meditation techniques to raise the frequency of your body in such a way that it allows you to open up these, these channels of connection. So I did that for about a year and a half, and that was before I then met the Arcturians. Now, fast forward another year or so, and I learned the second valuable process, which was the inner heart technique. And that's a technique of going into what I now know is the multidimensional inner heart that we all have access to, and through that heart gateway, we're again able to connect with anything in the universe. So by combining these two practices and, and diligently practicing every day, I was able to raise my frequency and expand my consciousness to the point where I now can channel and connect with any being in the multiverse through this telepathic connection that I've been able to open up. That's actually quite fascinating and that you're able to to do that. And when you think about it, when you go through the process, is it predictable? Is there anything that could possibly impact the process or make it hard to to go all the way to actually meeting and greeting these these other beings? Yeah, so like with most things, this process requires time and practice. It's exactly the same as if you want to get shredded, you go to the gym, you're not going to get results on the first day. Expansion of consciousness is a skill that can be developed and anyone can learn it. And I know that anyone can learn it because I teach my clients. I have a, a mentoring program where people can come in and they can do the activations and they can learn how to do this for themselves. So that process is very step by step. The question is, how often are you going to do it and how diligently and persistently will you do your practice? Because you can you can buy the same token say, well, anyone can win the Olympics, but only some people are going to actually do it. Now, this isn't as difficult as the Olympics. I don't want to compare multidimensional travel with the Olympics, but it is, it is like if you wanted to go deadlift or squat 50 kilos at the gym, you might have to work up towards that. I mean, if you're anything like me, I started nowhere near 50, you know, so it took me a little while to sort of work up towards that. And so the same way that you build muscle at the gym, you can build muscle in consciousness by following these two processes that I've outlined. And it is a simple case of following the step-by-step -step process that I've outlined in my courses and programs. 
Um, now, in terms of the thing that would get in the way of that or, or might slow it down, there's a couple of things to, to be mindful of. And this, this could apply to anything. One is what is your individual soul journey? You cannot force awakening the same way that you can't force yourself to, to lift 100 kilos. You have to go step by step every step of the way. And you'll have some days where you feel really great and everything's going amazing. And then one day where you sit in meditation and the thoughts are in your head and you just can't get it right. And so the people who succeed in this are typically just the ones that get through the challenging moments. They're the ones who are able to keep going even when they have days of meditation where they maybe don't connect or they don't feel great or or days when maybe emotions come up. And having, having a lot of traumas in the emotional field or in the chakras can definitely be a barrier, nothing that can't be healed. I think everything can be healed, but they might make the process a little bit more longer or slower, the same way that if you were going to the gym and you had an injury, well, you might take longer than the person who didn't have an injury. So there are things that can determine how quickly or slowly you will be able to move through the process. But at the end of the day, if you go through the process and and you stay determined and you do your practice every day, you will see the results. And I know this because I see this with my clients day in, day out. Now, I wonder what process that people can go through to validate these experiences as well. Like I know that you do a lot of research into this. I actually heard that you're in the process of analyzing things from an experience that you've had as well. So break that down a little bit, share it with people listening, and also take us through how can we validate these experiences? How can we not so much debunk them, because that implies that you're trying to prove it wrong, but how can we prove it right? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think a lot more people are determined to prove it wrong. So asking how can we prove it right is probably a better question, in my opinion, because I think there is definitely something out there that does require more research to be able to get more proof, essentially. And I think there's a couple of ways that validation can be done um, on a practical level. Like, for example, um, the, the one that you're referring to, one of my photographs was analyzed by the, the chair of the Birmingham UFO group. His name is Dave Hodrian, brilliant guy. Um, I actually had him on, on my podcast, First Contact, and as we were chatting, I sent him one of my photographs and he said, do you want me to analyze it for you? So I sent everything over to him and essentially, you know, he gave a very uh, balanced approach to this report and said, look, you know, there's definitely something anomalous going on here. We can't say yes or no, whether it's an actual ET craft, but there's definitely something that we can't maybe identify um, or, or it's something that's not clear right now that can be clearly identified from the photos. And the other thing that he said was from from what he could see in the metadata it, he was basically just just um saying that it most likely hasn't been tampered with and i think that's important in ufology sometimes because you know a lot of people come and say well you could have photoshopped that and i mean i don't know the first thing about photoshop so there's, there's problem number one is i don't know how to use photoshop <laughs> but aside from that um i did i did actually have someone on on that exact photograph i posted it to a ufo group and and what i did was i posted it to facebook and facebook reduces the qualities of all the photos right so this 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 facebook page guy instead of coming to me and saying hey can you send me the original he decided to take it upon himself to analyze the facebook photo and then post it in his group of thousands of members saying that my photograph was a fake because it was pixelated around the outside i was like mate like that's not even the original photo if you want the original i can send it to you it's a it's a one of those dot h-e-i-c formats which is like what what um iphones use and and that would have had the original metadata in it so anyway, people who are adamant to debunk will debunk. 
And I took that same photograph to this other person, Dave, and he analyzed it and took the original and said, well, actually, it hasn't been tampered. And what he did without my knowledge, actually, was he asked me to send another photograph, just like a standard photo taken on the same iPhone looking up at the sky. And he was able to compare the two metadata to see if one had been changed and the other hadn't. And through that analysis, he was able to essentially say, look, I don't think this photo has been tampered in any way. So that's that's a form of validation validation because I mean I know the experience I had I obviously didn't tamper anything I took this picture and there were two witnesses with me at the time who saw this craft show up on the photograph and we don't know how it got there so the fact that there's multiple witnesses and now it's had a formal photo analysis done on it is pretty solid proof the other main thing when it comes to validation is just having multiple witnesses to anything if you have two or more people in a space who have the same experience it gets harder and harder to debunk it. Like, again, going back to my experience with the beam of light coming through the sky, if that had happened to just me, I might have even gone, maybe I dreamt it, maybe I made it up. But but if you have multiple people having the same experience, there's got to be a form of validation in that. And that's why I love having my, my community and my group events, because when we do these types of galactic experiences together, we have shared experiences and those experiences then last because that doubt that people have goes away when there's someone else in the room who's had the same experience as them. It's a very interesting point, actually. And I wonder as well, like what things may it be but turns out not to be. So funny enough, Isha, my first thing was psychedelics. So I recently interviewed somebody that sort of helps people heal through psychedelics. It makes me think, well, that that almost forces people to experience certain things, whether it's, you know, spiritual or just not of this world, like your whole world can can shift and the colors can change. You start seeing sounds, that sort of thing. It gets a bit weird. It, it makes me wonder that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It's just letting you see something that is not of this world, almost. It doesn't make it not real, though. And that's that's the bit that some people can have a hard time wrapping their head around, because just because it's not normal, just because your entire, you know, eyesight can just completely change completely change completely different you enter in this whole different dimension this whole different world and everything shifts your entire perspective can change as a result of these experiences that doesn't make it wrong well exactly i think you raise a really valid point there and i just want to touch upon there's a, a gentleman dr rainero hernandez who has conducted one of the largest studies on UFOs and contact modalities. And he actually has listed psychedelics as one of the, the common contact modalities. Now, I'm not a huge advocate of psychedelics, so please, if you're listening to this, um, you know, don't do drugs, kids sort of thing. But but at the same time, I think there's a, there's a lot of pathways through which you can connect with consciousness. And I think, again, we come back to this idea that that, Consciousness is more than what's physical. 
if your definition of reality is is firmly grounded in this idea that reality is everything that we can experience with the five senses, then perhaps you won't experience the world that's beyond that. Because I think the five senses, yes, they help you experience the physical reality, but I think there's so much more than that. And the things that happen inside of our minds can sometimes be just as real as the things that we touch, see, taste, hear, and smell. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And I think sometimes we discount it because it doesn't fit our current line of thinking whether it's our own education our own experiences most people's life issue is actually quite narrow it's actually quite predictable it's very samey for want of a better expression and anything that will go against that they'll just either ignore it or discount it or think well that can't possibly be true it leaves people very closed off and very only open to certain things and have you ever had conversations with people that are more close-minded? I mean, you're probably sick of having to justify everything at this point. But have you ever had to have a conversation with these people? What do you say to them? How do you help them see things from, from your perspective? I'll be honest with you. I actually don't agree to a lot of interviews with skeptics. I feel like it's not the best use of my time. I think there's enough people out there that believe that I'm not really focused on trying to convince the others. Um, but it, for someone who genuinely, you know, was curious and on the fence about this stuff, I would say at the very least, you know, if you believe in science, then test it out yourself. Go spend six months doing my meditations and activation, then you tell me what you find. Because the best science is experience. You can hear story after story after story from people who've had these experiences, but until you have actually seen and felt and witnessed this with your own being, you're always going to be a little bit skeptical, you know? And I and I totally get that. I don't I don't blame people for that. If somebody hasn't had an experience, they're within every right to be skeptical about it. But what are you doing about that? Are you just going to stay on your skeptical side of the fence or are you actually going to be the researcher and the investigator, be your own scientist and go find the truth for yourself? Because that's what I did. I sought out the truth for myself and I was very surprised with what I found. I'm actually scientific myself, by the way. I have a degree in electrical engineering. So I've come from science and here I am saying I think there's a lot more to this. What kind of things would you suggest people do? Because you, you've got the, the activations and meditations, but then some people will probably want something that's, that, that's different. Are there any alternatives, anything you could think of that maybe, think, okay, if they did this, then that kind of sets up the ability to see these things? The thing is, these beings operate through frequency and it's a frequency that can be tapped in only through consciousness. So if you don't want to meditate and you want to connect with ETs, I'd say your chances are pretty slim. So it's like, it's like it's again, if we use the gym analogy, it's like saying, is there a way that I can get shredded without going to the gym and eating nutritionally? I just want to eat Maccas all day, every day, but I want to be really fit. Well, those two paradigms just don't match. You know, if you want to have these experiences and you want to explore consciousness, meditation is one of the pathways that allows you to do that. Now, again, there are other, you know, modalities out there that, that where contact can happen. For example, I know near-death experiences is one of those contact modalities that, again, Dr. Ray talks about in his work. Um, but not everyone's going to get on the verge of death to have a contact experience. So the same as if you want to go to the gym and get shredded and, you know, you would, you would, 
you would follow the pathway that your trainer has laid out for you. And if you don't want to do it, then you're probably not going to get shredded. And that's just kind of how it is. So if you want to have this experience of expanding consciousness and understanding the world for what it really is, you better get okay with the idea of meditating because a lot can happen by sitting in the stillness of our consciousness. In saying that, there are similar modalities that might help you get there if you're not quite at the point of of being able to meditate just yet you could go and get a Reiki session. You can go and try some hypnotherapy or past life regression. You can try a quantum hypnosis session. This is Dolores Cannon's work. A lot of people have contact through that. So there are some things that you can do in a safe and guided, supported space where you can work your way up towards having these types of experiences as well. And then when you're ready, you can take it upon yourself to then sit in your own stillness, in your own practice to have these types of experiences too. That's one of the things that I was going to mention as well, because I wonder what kind of shifts did you need to have to be able to have these experiences more often, just kind of help guide people a little bit in terms of what shifts would they expect to have? Yeah, sure. I mean, I definitely didn't have this overnight. Actually, that's not entirely true. Some of my awakening did happen overnight. So I was one of those people that literally woke up one day in a whole new reality. But that doesn't happen for most people. So what I can share with you is I take clients through this journey all the time, and it doesn't happen overnight. So so the journey for them usually involves a number of different things. The first one for a lot of people, first stage of the journey is generally to do with healing. It's releasing the emotional traumas. It's releasing the, the energetic blockages in the chakras. That's a really great starting point. And some of that work, you know, people are a little bit more open to, to sort of chakra-related things or Reiki-related things, you know, or energy healing in general. So even spirit healing, faith healing, whatever you want to call it, right? So those are all things that can help you to heal. And once you've moved a little bit through the healing stages of the journey, then what happens is you move into more of an awakening stage. And this is where you go, okay, you know what? I'm stepping more into my wholeness. And as I remember more of all that I am, of who I am here in this in this spirit body and, and on this planet, you get to you get to experience this this. I guess, sense of stepping into the unknown. And that's where a lot of people seek guidance in the stages of awakening. Some people, I will say, awaken through trauma. And and I was one of those people. I had a massive awakening through trauma and I I don't recommend that. Um, It's not the pathway I would wish upon people, but sometimes it does happen that way. But if you are fortunate enough that, you know, you've got a fairly stable life, things are going relatively well for you, you've got a job, things are, you know, things are good. Uh, you might have a few challenges in life and a few things to heal from, but you've got you've got the time to say, okay, now I want to awaken. There are lots of things that you can do. Um, again, meditation, I'm a huge fan of. You can go try a sound healing. You can go do a hypnosis session. Um, one of the things that that really helped me back in the day was was just going along and and sitting with with other meditation teachers. So I would just go along to their classes and because they'd be holding space for me, even though at that point I'd been meditating by myself for a long time, I really enjoyed being in the community and being around people who who could understand me and that allowed me to develop my gifts. So I think the journey is very, um, sometimes it's a windy road. I don't think there's, there's necessarily always a linear pathway for everyone, but I know the pathway exists for everyone. Anyone who has the desire to expand consciousness and connect with these other dimensional beings, all it really comes down to is is understanding more of who you are. Because when you start with the, the journey of discovering who you are and your truth, 
it it really shows you that you're you're so much more capable than you think you are and that your consciousness is so much more vast than what we get taught one of the things that i'm i guess worried about is self-awareness can sometimes close people off because they become more certain they become more true of themselves because they understand themselves better that can very often have the opposite effects how do you avoid that how do you encourage a level of awareness that opens people's minds as opposed to close them off that's a very interesting question and i think maybe at this point it, we make a distinction between opening the mind and opening the heart because again there are nuances between the two you can be very very open minded to new ideas and new concepts and and intellectualizing things one of the big things when it comes to this multidimensional experience that i'm talking about especially the galactic side of things it is very frequency and heart based now i know this is going to sound so cheesy and so new agey but at the end of the day, when you open your heart, it's it's more than opening your mind. It's like the way that I experienced it, the best way that I can describe it to someone who hasn't had this experience, it was like instead of seeing with my eyes, I was suddenly seeing with my heart. And when that happened for me, it was like walking out and, and everything looked brighter and the sounds were more melodic and everything was more beautiful and there was suddenly more space for joy in my life. And when I open my heart again, with it's it's just it's healing. It's bringing more love. It's bringing more joy, more kindness. When we cultivate those qualities in ourselves, that that vibration of love is the frequency that these other dimensional beings vibrate at. So when you tap into that energy yourself, it's kind of like it's kind of like getting a radio station and you know having an antenna and having a receiver. You know, if they're on the same frequency, you're going to relay the message. But if one person is in say a frequency of anger and these beings are in a frequency of love, well it's not going to be a match. So what do you need to do? You need to heal the anger, you need to transform and lift your frequency to a love vibration. And then when you're in the love vibration, you'll connect with the beings that are loving. We're getting into sort of law of attraction type of things here, but the concept stands across the board that when you dial into these frequencies by opening your heart energy, it's not so much about opening the mind, although you do need an open mind and you do need to have some of those limiting beliefs removed. But once you've done that and you open your heart, suddenly it's like this whole new universe opens up to you and it's like walking in the same world, but completely different experience. Law of Attraction was actually one of the things that, that I thought of because it, it is that kind of that kind of thing when you're able to let go of the things that you're holding on to. The question becomes, well, what's left? If you let go of the anger, the frustration, the anxiousness, the fear, the worry, all of those things, what is it replaced by? What is your experience once you're no longer holding on to those things and I guess then you have to ask yourself well if that is the case what would your life be like what would your actual life experience be like well that I can tell you from my experience I live a life that is full of love joy freedom connection community abundance in fact one of the things that I started doing when I when I got into this sort of work was I, I spent a lot of time in, in the sort of healer wearing the healer hat so 
I was a healer. I developed my own modality, origin activation, where I was teaching people how to connect with these sorts of energies. And then they were having these profound healings. And as I mentioned earlier in the interview, one of the first groups of beings that I connected with were the Arcturians and they are the master healers. So I learned a lot of their tools and techniques and processes to, to heal energetically. And I taught other people how to, how to apply those techniques as well. So so healing was a really big part of that. And then one of the things that I started noticing was happening was that the more we healed, the more abundance people were getting. My clients were suddenly coming to me and saying, oh, I just got a pay rise or, or I, I, I got a $50,000 in cash from this random source I wasn't expecting, or I just made a million dollars through this, this deal that I, that I didn't know was going to happen, you know, or just unexpected things will start happening from that abundance perspective because people were starting to heal. And as they lifted their vibration out of the fear and out of the hurt and out of the anger and out of all the sadness and the grief that we carry, when you heal those energies what's left is love and joy and creation and potential so then instead of running a rat race of how to just pay your bills week to week and trying to live your life in this in this you know almost in slavery is what I think of it sometimes you get to have a level of freedom and when you are free from your emotions and free from your beliefs and free from from these expectations that have been placed on you, you get to build the life that you want. And so one of the biggest things that I see with my clients is they step out and build the life of their dreams. And it could be anything. Some of them become healers. Some of them just change jobs. Some of them find partnerships that are really fulfilling. Some of them just experience the, the greater ability to receive and have more abundance. So all of these things can happen by lifting your vibration because what you're really doing as you're shedding away those things that no longer resonate is you're becoming more of who you really are. And who we really are is this beautiful divine being that's here to experience and co-create and be love and be kindness and to have this human experience, but not from the, the density that we're having right now. Because right now, humans are having a very dense experience of life for the most part. There's some people that are doing amazing, but a lot of war, a lot of slavery, uh, not slavery so much these days, but um just war and suffering and, and, you know, famine and lots of things going on, disease, you know, and, and if we learn as a race collectively to lift our vibration, if each person lifts their own vibration, that ripples out and has an effect on the people around them too, because we're energetic beings and, and we radiate that out. So what life looks like then is more peace, more harmony, more connection, we don't have war anymore. We suddenly have the resources to, to build our planet from a beautiful place. And, and the highest vision of all of this for me that I see for the world is intergalactic peace. And that that's really the core of everything that I do. Because if I can help people awaken to connect with these entities, to realize there's more than just us out there, we're bringing peace within ourselves. We're bringing peace to the human race. And then we're bringing peace across the galaxy and the multiverse. And that is the highest vision of, of what we can be and what we can create here. What I thought of just while you were saying that was if you zoom out far enough, you can't really see the people or the roads or the problems or the frustrations. If you zoom out far enough, you probably see the earth as a planet and then you've got Mars and the moon and all of those things. So yeah. it's almost like the collective consciousness makes the whole planet different. It makes the whole planet kind of attracting in the things that you would want. 
make it more attractive to those that are going to visit us and see us and hopefully make friends. And I, I think that, that that was kind of what I was thinking. What are your thoughts on that, this whole collective consciousness idea? Yeah, well, I think collective consciousness is definitely a thing. And I think we do create our reality. I think a lot of the things that have been created on this planet are created as a result of, of having mass people's consciousness directed towards certain things or mass frequencies that then co-create or manifest certain experiences into the collective experience. And I think this is where, you know, there's this idea of the macrocosm, like what you said, when you take that really big perspective, but then there's also the more microcosmic perspective. And I think this is where people find a lot of empowerment in knowing that, that if you just focus on changing yourself, that is changing the world. You know, some people are here to change the world, like Gandhi, you know, he changed the world in, or at least India in very beautiful ways. Um, and then there are people like Elon Musk who are changing the world in, in his way, you know, and creating what he wants to create. And whether that's for better or worse, I'm not going to debate here. But at the end of the day, he's changing the world, right? So, so the question is, well, what can we do individually and what level of impact is that going to have on the greater whole? Because there is a collective consciousness, but the collective consciousness is still made up of every individual. And I think that's where we can find a lot of comfort in knowing that if you want to influence the, the greater collective consciousness, we'll start by influencing yourself, start reading new books, start eating healthy food, start getting some sunshine, start connecting with nature, remove stress from your life, find, find the joy actually stop and smell the roses literally go stop and smell a rose if you see it you know it's I think it's those little things that bring more joy into the world and that joy then also goes out into the collective consciousness and that makes an impact so in in every way we are empowered to to make a difference in the world so let's say we do have this UFO sighting moment that everyone finally accepts it. Everyone finally knows that there are things out there that did not originate here, for want of a better expression. So aliens, UFOs, I'm sure they're just people where they come from, but we call them aliens. What happens then? Like what changes? What can we expect or what can we not expect from having this coming out moment from people from other worlds? Yeah, so I, I think there will be a moment where what's going to happen is there will be a, a collective shift in consciousness towards accepting this idea. I'm still not 100% convinced that there's going to be some official disclosure um, unless it's going to be after everybody already knows about it. It's like it, it, it's this weird kind of dynamic that's playing out at the moment where if you ask certain individuals like myself or other experiences, I had disclosure 10 years ago. So as far as I'm concerned, I already know, and I know a lot of other people already know as well. So I think this disclosure process is, is kind of like being drip fed out towards certain individuals at this point. And then from individuals, it's, you know, maybe certain families or certain community groups where people are starting to have these kinds of experiences. And then eventually there will come this tipping point where the majority of people just go, you know what? Yeah. Okay. We know it's true. We know it's real. Okay. No biggie, you know? Um, but I think I think there will still be always this point where for the people who haven't yet caught on or haven't yet had these experiences, when those people officially get told that, yes, this phenomena is true, it exists, it's real, I think the first thing that's going to happen is potentially a massive identity questioning and shift because people are very used to 
uh, being the only people in the world. And if you have this view that that we're the only humans, that we are the highest uh, you know, level of sentient beings available in, in this entire galaxy, um, you might be in for a bit of a shock, you know, and people will take that in very different ways. My only hope is that we are prepared enough for that for that experience to lead those people into a smooth and peaceful shift in consciousness, because the last thing that anyone wants is to is to have this, uh, you know, big disclosure event or whatever, and and then people suddenly going into a frenzy over it. No, no one wants that. And that's not ideal for the planet. It's not ideal for the vibration. It's not ideal for consciousness. So it raises questions around, well, how can we, how can we bring this process or bring this awakening to the people, bring this knowledge to the people in a way that's going to be more readily accepted? And I think one of the ways that this is already happening is through media. You know, a hundred years ago, if you had a film, assuming films existed, for argument's sake, um, people wouldn't know what that film, what, well, sorry, if you had a film with an ET in it, people wouldn't know what an ET was. They would go, what is that? It's a monster. It's something, you know, like they, they just wouldn't know what it is. Thanks to all the movies that have come out in the last few decades, if, if an ET actually walked into your room, you would know that's an ET because you have a concept or an idea of what that looks like. And I think that in itself has been a massive shift in consciousness for humans. Even though a lot of people think it's still fantasy, they still know what it is right now. I do wonder what view that films, you know, it it does help. You know, the idea of Doctor Who being around for so long, I'm sure people are like, oh, I recognise that alien from doctor who or like star wars and you think oh i'd love to have a lightsaber and all of a sudden we do and it, it almost like it starts off as a certain medium before it then becomes real like i'm still waiting for my hoverboard from back to the future issue is, is where i'm going with this and um it's where it's where we we have to have an element of acceptance and there is a process to that and i think as you said, it's being drip fed in. It's being gradually introduced, this idea, whether it's true or not, whether it's 100% going to be the case where these people turn up, these beings do turn up, and we're all like, whoa, this is amazing. A whole world has changed. I think there is a level of preparedness that we're already at, and I'm hoping that things do progress. I'm hoping things do. I, I reckon that they're doing this whether or not it's 100% true or not. You know, like way back when all these sci-fi films and fantasy films came out, it's like, okay, well, if it is true, then we need to work hard to make sure that people don't freak out, that people don't just decide to go to war against these beings, knowing full well that it's a miracle that it happened in the first place. Do you think that, that they ever sat down and thought that? Or do you think when they brought these concepts out that it was fantasy that it was fiction and now fiction's got a lot of work to do because there are people out there that like yourself know that this is the case so do you ever watch a fantasy film issue and think yeah i know this is true this isn't fantasy this is real oh absolutely i think there are a lot of lot of very well-known films out there that i feel like whoever's behind them has 
been connected definitely to something they're either channeling they've had some sort of psychedelic experience or some way somehow they've been able to bring through true elements of consciousness and portray them in film and I think this also comes from this idea that I think all ideas exist in the quantum field I think everything is already there I don't really think there's a lot of new stuff I think it's just we reach up into that consciousness and we bring things through. And I think that's where creativity comes from. And then we synthesize it with our existing knowledge or our existing concept of the world. And then we can we can bring it through to human consciousness with our lens or with our perceptions and opinions. And that's how a lot of creative things are, are made, right? So I think the original ideas, they have to come from somewhere. And I think most of them have some level of truth to them, unless they've been crazily distorted in some way and completely fabricated which some of them definitely are but I mean even just like I, I'm convinced James Cameron has he knows something like he knows something you know uh and, and even like Steven Spielberg I'm convinced he knows something so I think there's just there's too much truth in some of those things that are coming out to go hang on a second I think this was completely made up I think the information is definitely coming through some higher source, higher power. Maybe they've had their own connections that I don't know, but it's coming from somewhere. So the question is then is why no hoverboard? Like why why is that not in the shops everywhere? I actually heard they there was something similar like that actually. Um I don't think we're very far off from that technology because I remember seeing something not too long ago um, where they had, you know, the the Back to the Future type. Um, they had, I think, they had a picture of it, and then they had some some recent technology that was kind of mimicking that. So, yeah, I think you may still get your hoverboard, Michael. Well, I am still waiting. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> you will need both. I'm waiting for teleportation. When that happens, I'll be so happy. <laughs> oh, we save so much time. Can you imagine the commuter take like three milliseconds rather than three hours? Uh, I, yeah. I, think, I think people's lives would definitely change if if the sci-fi fantasy world became science you know this whole idea of like religions becoming more science and things like that I, I think if things finally become researchable and creatable and developable you know the we're watching like Star Trek and thinking oh wouldn't it be great if we could if it actually became real and actually became something that we could use day to day i i think things like you know ufos and things that we can no longer explain they're gonna have to try pretty hard for us to not believe it you know when you sort of think if things get that way it would be easier to convince us that ufos existed because we're already almost there ourselves yeah yeah well that's it and Again, it's that it's that you know conversation around belief versus knowing. Like for me, I just know it's real. So whenever I see these fantasy made up movies, I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like these are real elements, and it's quite interesting to see in in a lot of films as well the the elements of truth from what I've seen, what I've seen in my channelings, what I've seen in my visions, and then if I watch a movie, I go, oh, that's actually quite accurate, you know. So so yeah, I think I think you know worlds are definitely colliding when it comes to fiction and and nonfiction. Um, in saying that, though, I think also 
you know, there, there's a lot to be said for for the impact of of that on humanity. Like, if if suddenly some of these, you know, things that are at the moment only in sci-fi become real, like certain technologies, well, yeah, that's going to have a massive impact. And I and I know, I mean, I've seen on some of these starships the things they can do. For example, I've seen some of the healing beds that the Ecturians have, and I I do actually know versions of this that have been created on Earth as well, like med bed sort of technologies. Um, but I mean, I've seen some of the things they do, then I go, man, if we if we had those technologies, you know, here on Earth, in the same way that they have them, disease would be gone, like, like, we we would be finally able to evolve as a human race beyond suffering and disease, it would be it would be such a small minority of people that would be in disease instead of at the moment, right now, we're, we're in epidemics of, of obesity, and like, poor nutrition and and even even in first world countries there's malnutrition going on you know i mean people in australia having vitamin d deficiencies how's that possible we're the sunniest country and you know it's just there's, there's a lot going on at the moment that i think you know if we had these connections with these beings and if everyone connected not just myself but say you know people in, in specific industries like um like people in pharmaceutical industries or people in uh like legal industries people that are you know governmental leaders if they actually sat down and had a conversation with these beings and we were allowed to exchange information and technologies this world could be such a different place and we can finally evolve as a human race we have brought up like film industry changes, you know, the fiction and non-fiction blending a little bit. Do you think there's be any other major shifts? You mentioned human identity and our place in the world, that sort of thing. What else do you think will change? Well, in order, the first one has to actually be the legal systems. So the first, the first is we have to have a legal framework in place to diplomatically allow for this connection to happen. Now, I actually know a group of people who are working towards this at the moment, and and I also know other people that I've interviewed who have written books on exopolitics and things like that. So, so those frameworks are already coming into place, uh, but definitely the legal framework has to be first. I think the second thing that's going to happen, and this one I'm not very thrilled about, but most likely will be military. Um, and then after military, it'll be medical. And then from medical, it'll be things like crops. So how can how can the agricultural industry be impacted by this? Um, to me, I feel like that's sort of a, a natural progression of how this will kind of unfold. Um, of course, all industries will, will change in their own ways, but I think across the board, you know, it, it kind of has to be like the legal framework has to first allow it. And then most likely military is going to take it over. Then it's going to be, all right, let's deal with the medical side of things and agricultural. And then the last to come will be societal changes. Like, for example, we may see uh, shifts in schooling systems, the way that we educate children, the way that we raise children in, in, um, in communities. I think there's a lot of room for improvement there I do suspect that that will come last after the other industries have kind of taken their their pick you know um so that that's my theory on that and and I think it yeah it just seems like a very natural progression for things to go that way I do think that the whole planet will have to shift for sure and how we govern ourselves will have to shift because we're so we're kind of ancient currently even to this day we're using systems and ways of governing that are hundreds of years old and everything's changed so much since then and yet those systems still still haven't they're still there they've not changed they've not grown they've not adapted at all and i think that if extraterrestrial beings people actually became known to everybody then I don't think we'll have much of a choice. I think that we will actually have to do it to be able to 
get along. Like, because we're so backwards, they'll probably step in and say, look, this is all nonsense. What are you all doing? We need to do this. We need to do that. Why are you still living this way? Now, there are some people that are probably thinking that now already. But if someone came to all of us and looked at how we govern ourselves and the society that we've built, they'd probably not be too impressed with with how far we've come. So I think that'd be the first shift for sure. Well, Isha, it's been fantastic. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope that there are people out there that would be going from non-believers to believers and hopefully knowers the more they more they dive into this. So for those that want to dive in, they want to learn more and learn more about you, how can they do that? So the best place to connect with me would be my website, which is www.eshapatel.com. That's E-E-S-H-A-P-A-T-E-L.com. And you'll, you can go there. You can look at my podcast. You can have a look at my courses that I have as well To for those who want to connect. I'm also available for other interviews, speaking conferences and things like that too. So yeah, just head to my website, eshapatel.com, and you'll find everything there. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Each of it's been great. Thanks so much. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Thank you.